0: There's some key markers throughout this chapter, one constant throughout the chapter. Paul has mentioned, I think, five or six times here to um, remain as you have been called or stay where you've been called. Don't seek change just for change sake. Um, God has saved us by his power, by his grace. In fact, another key marker in this uh, book is the same. I mean, this chapter is the same at the end of chapter six. He says, you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. He makes that same statement here in chapter seven. Uh, We looked at that last week in verse 23. He says, you were bought with a price, do not become slaves of men. Um, that purchase was God's own son. That payment was God's lifeblood. His holy, perfect life represented in all that he did, all that he said, all that he lived. Righteous and holy. Um, he purchased us for his own possession. People want to have better and better situations or circumstances. And that's what Paul has been talking about. They have been questions. He says in chapter seven, verse one, now concerning the things about which you wrote, we don't know what this letter contained, but there were questions. Should I end my marriage? Would that be holier because I should be single? Should I be celibate? Would that be a more holy life that would make me grow closer to God? Should I marry? Should I be celibate uh, not to engage in um, sexual pleasures? Would that make me more holy? Paul has said over and over again, these things, these situations can change, but there is not holiness to be found in a new circumstance, in a new setting, in a new situation. That holiness that God has given to us is his son, and when we believe and trust in him, we are given the righteousness of God, imputed to us by faith. We are, we are declared to be justified, declared to be holy. And so Paul has been saying, stay where you are, stay content in the place that you have been called in. In fact, he says there in verse 15 of chapter 7, God has called us not to disunity, not to disruption, not to confusion, but he has called us to peace. And that peace that God brings to us surpasses what the world would call to peace. We want a peace treaty. We want a truce. We want a ceasefire. We want all of these things. But the peace that God brings to you and I as believers is that we have assurance that we are in a right relationship with the God of creation who's holy and perfect and right. And that peace that God brings to us is an assurance that what God has promised he will not fail to complete. We just sang about it. Great is your faithfulness to us. You will not fail us. You will not You will not desert us. What you have promised will come about. Even if I don't see it. Even if I don't understand it, God has promised and it will take place. He's called us to peace. That's a great marker in this seventh chapter. Called us to peace. So let us walk in a, in a different way than we walked before. And here in what we're going to look at tonight, there is a, a, a couple of markers that I just, they just kept coming out at me and coming out at me. He's going to talk about marriage again. He's going to talk about uh, betrothal. He's going to talk about fathers and their virgin daughters or the virgin or the unmarried, those that have lost a spouse or they're unmarried now, whatever their situation might be. But in the midst of all of that, In this world, there is confusion, there is strife, there is trouble. He's going to talk about that, that those things will come about. But that, I want to tell you tonight, that does not change your position with God. God has called us to salvation. The position that we have in Christ is forgiveness, is righteousness, is that we are declared to be a child of God. We are declared to be an heir with Christ. We are to grow in that Christ likeness. So these two markers in this last section are this. We find one there in, um, let's see, where is that at? One in verse, well, really verse 29. And then in um, down just a little bit farther, verse 29, it says, the time has been shortened and then down a little bit farther, it says that this world is coming to an end. This world is is not the end. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, but this world is not the end. And then the other marker is in verse 35, where he says he wants them to be uh, undistracted, have an undistracted devotion to the Lord. An undistracted devotion to the Lord. Um He's talked about be content and stay where God has called you, whatever, whatever your status, married, whatever your social status. Don't just, just seek change for change, but stay where God has placed you and serve the Lord and honor Him where you are. Uh, value the gifts that God gives. And you know, in our, in our society today, I read something about this this week, um, the single person sometimes is looked down upon as they are a lower class citizen. God's gift to some is singleness and it's a gift from God. And some are gifted with that to live a life in without a spouse with, without anyone there just to be single is a gift from God. Not everybody has that gift. Some try to have that gift. And he's saying, if you have that gift live that life, but if you don't get married or whatever, he's talked about that earlier. So value the gift of singleness, value marriage in its proper place. And in God's proper plan, value marriage. It's highly to be valued. So single, being single is not wrong, it's a gift. Being married is not wrong. So value both. Enjoy each other in the Lord, for God created us for one another. If we are married, God says God invented uh, that oneness between a husband and a wife. Enjoy each other because these things God has created and God intends us to enjoy those. Don't just deny each other. He's talked about that except for when you come together for prayer and for fasting. Agree on those things for a certain period of time. Um, if you are single, he's going to talk about that. Uh, carefully evaluate. Carefully evaluate if God would have you marry. Carefully evaluate that. In other words, go to God in prayer. I want All that said tonight, we want to try to finish this chapter But I want to begin a couple places in the Old Testament. Um, I want to begin in Deuteronomy. And these go right with the two markers that the world someday will come to an end. These things are passing away. The world is passing away. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll start there. Verse one. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So that you so that you and your sons and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, to keep all of his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that you may and and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and with and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And God's people that God brought out of Egypt were commanded to obey and to listen to his voice and to love the Lord their God with all of their heart and with all of their soul and with all of their mind. And you and I, as God's people, not the children of Israel, but as God's people in the New Testament, are called to what? What? to obey his commandments, to listen to his voice through his word and through his spirit, and to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul, despite whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you work as as a, as a banker, as uh, someone out at Kroger or wherever you might work, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and honor him and praise him and worship him with not only your Your words and your attitudes, but with what you do for a living or your marital or single status, honor the Lord and love him with all of your hearts. They had lost sight of that in Corinthians, that the objective was what we our marker. We just read that devotion to the Lord and fixing upon him. I once heard it said there are some people that are so heavenly minded. They're just no earthly good. That's false. I want to tell you that. Okay, should be the other way around. There are some people that are so earthly minded, there are no heavenly good. We can't be too heavenly minded. Fix our eyes upon Jesus and upon the things to come. I want to read in Psalm 90. We're going to go there in just a second um, to kind of lead into this, uh, what we're going to finish up with tonight. Psalm 90 is one of my favorite Psalms to read. We're not going to read all of it, but we'll read a little bit of it in the beginning and a little bit at the end. Um. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. And in Psalm 90 verse 1, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting. I like that, don't you? From everlasting to everlasting, what? You are God. And there is none beside you. You turn man back into dust and say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes away. For this world will pass away. All, all these things to you are like a thousand years in your sight and like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They will fall asleep. In the morning, they are like the grass which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening, it fades and withers away. It's gone in a vapor. Life is short. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Here at the end of chapter uh, 90 in the book of Psalms, it says, uh, verse 9, we'll start there. For all of our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. Boy, isn't that true? Helen and I talk about that all the time. It's amazing how fast time goes. The older you get, it just is gone. We get a clearer picture of that. Just the days are precious, and they go so quickly. We finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years or, if due strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? And this is where I want to finish in verse 12. And it's, it's just a good reminder to us all. And we'll talk about that in Corinthians. So teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days so that why? Why should we number our days and use them wisely that we may present to you a heart of wisdom? You know where wisdom starts, we're told in the Bible? Fear the Lord and honor to him. A heart of wisdom that acknowledges him and follows him wholly and devoted to him. Let's turn back to Corinthians We're going to read our section tonight, Corinthians chapter. We finished last week, chapter 7, with verse uh, 24. Uh, Brethren, each one is to remain with God in the condition in which he was called. He's talked about that several times. We've already mentioned that. Right before that, he says, you've been bought with a price. Do not become slaves to man or to man's wisdom or theology. We want to present to God a heart of wisdom that follows him and and devotes ourselves to him and to his plan and to his will, not man's theology, not man's wisdom, not man's uh, schemes and plans, but God's wisdom. We've been called to him. We've been purchased with a precious price. Verse 25, Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. Uh, Verse 25 says, Paul, as a faithful, God-ordained apostle, he can give an opinion. He doesn't say this is a command. He says, I want to give an opinion from the Lord, uh, not from the Lord, but opinion that I, I feel like this is a good advice, a good advice that I can give you. Why? Because he was an ordained apostle called by God. He could give this opinion, and this opinion would be trustworthy, should be listened to because he spoke for the Lord. He wrote these things down. He was a, a valid representation of God. These things, in other words, that he wrote for you and I today are authoritative. Even if it doesn't come directly from Jesus' teaching, he wasn't quoting Jesus here. He says, I'm giving a trustworthy opinion that would be good for you. Why? He says, because of the mercy of the Lord who is trustworthy. He had received God's mercy. And we know that story, don't we? He was, he was zealous for the Lord in all the wrong ways. Persecuting this way, this new way that had started up following this dead guy named Jesus. And then one day on the road to Damascus, God showed him his mercy by calling him to himself. And he said, he called me that day. He not only called me that day, but he changed me that day forward. He blinded my eyes so that I could see. He had me there for three days blinded. I think Paul for that three days prayed and asked God for wisdom, for understanding, to open his eyes maybe too. But he just talked to God about now I see, even though I can't today. Thank you for your mercy to me. And he was a trustworthy man. He was a trustworthy man that wrote God's word. And why was it? It was all because God called him by his mercy to himself. And it's no different from the you and I today. God calls us by his mercy to himself. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. We don't, we don't have some list that say, here's the list that I've got it all done. Lord, you accept me now, right? No, it's from God's mercy. And he said, this is an opinion, but this is a good opinion. This is a worthwhile opinion because he's a trustworthy servant of the Lord. And God has called him by his mercy to give this opinion. He says, I think then that it is good in view of the present distress that word distress you know there's a lot of commentaries talk about what was the distress some say it was the distress of he was looking forward to when the lord would return to the end times some say he was looking for looking forward even more to the like to the to the rapture or something when when god would return and the end times would take place and all of the things the terrible things were going to happen at the end it doesn't say that here Actually, this could be word. I like this word the way it's uh, interpreted in the Greek, the, the calamitous times. And, you know, I think we live in a sinful world. And we live with a lot of, a lot of calamitous times around us. Um, he said, I think it's in good in view of the distress. The th- the, in the time we live and there was distress there. Uh, some say and commentators say was looking just a little bit forward to when Nero would be in charge. And Nero did things that were calamitous. He was an evil man. He would he would sew Christians up in dead animal skins and then release the dogs on them. He would dip them in wax and then put them in poles and light them on fire to light his gardens. Maybe to spare them of these calamitous times. Uh, he says, I give a good opinion. I think that it's good in view of the present distress, the things that may be coming in life and they're just part of life. That is good for a man to remain as he is. Um, I will tell you this, though let us not fear the calamitous or the distressful times. And Jesus said to his disciples, Don't fear, don't be afraid. You live in this world and it is distressful and calamitous, but it says, Do not fear, I have overcome the world. And I have overcome these things. And this isn't the end of the story here. There's eternity that lies before us. So in view of these distressful things, life with its sin, it's stressful for believers especially. Don't seek a better place. Live for God and be content right in the place where you are. He's already talked about that. To remain as he is. Don't add to the anxiety or the stress. They're already stressful enough. Serve the Lord right where you are. In my view, he says in this present calamity, it's good for a man to stay as he is. And he says in verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Don't, don't what? Don't seek to be released. Some were in this culture, they would uh, be betrothed. And it was the same thing as really as being married. He says, if you're bound to a wife, don't seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Don't seek a wife. In other words, serve the Lord right where you are. He's kind of reiterating what he said several times throughout this chapter. Don't seek a new uh, situation that might, you might think it would be holier. Stay right where you are. Serve the Lord right where you are. And he's going to say later down there, be devoted to the Lord with all that you are. and Serve him and love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul right where you are today. And, you know... Maybe we're not, maybe we're not doing that. Maybe you feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm a little lax in that. I'm not really living the life that I know God would have me to live. Well, you know what? Today is the day to start. Today is the day to ask the Lord to put a resolve in your heart to say, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to follow you more closely from this day forward. I'm going to end this cycle today um, I I remember when um, I was talking to bill about this actually Friday when I was um, in Vienna Austria I I kept a journal every day I was there you know what I kept in that journal I kept in that journal every day what the Lord was teaching me every day and when I came back home I read it and reread it and I that That two weeks I spent there changed me. And I came back and I read through that, what the Lord had taught me. And I made a resolve today and from this day forward, I'm going to make him more important than the other things in my life. And I didn't do it perfectly. But we can choose to do that today. Make that resolve today if you haven't done that. We look today and say, I'm going to serve the Lord right where I am today. Right where I live today, in the position I am today, I'm going to serve him and honor him and glorify him and seek him with all of my heart and love him with all of my heart and serve him faithfully with my life. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you marry, you've not sinned, he says there in verse 28. If you've married in the Lord, you're not sinning. If you do marry, you're not sinning. And if you're a virgin, Mary, she has not sinned. So there must have been some questions about, so should I get married if I'm a virgin and I get married? And is that a sin? No, he says, she's not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you to show you mercy and to help you in the trials of life. I think Paul had a pastor's heart and he just wanted the best for his people. And he knew what was coming uh, he's going to talk about this in a minute, about the concerns of the married life versus the single life. Not that one is better than the other. We can live for the Lord in either way. Uh, in the Lord, life is joyous. Uh, nevertheless, if we, we, we live in a sinful world. So to make a covenant and to, and to love and to honor and to cherish in a relationship in this world, that includes some anxiety. You know what else that includes? A to-do list. And you got to get that to do list done. Sometimes um, you, there are concerns for that. So he wants to. He wants them to ha- He wants the best for them. He says, "If you marry, you're not sin. You're not sinning. If you're a virgin and you and you marry, you're not sinning. Yet you will have trouble. Just know this going in. There will be trouble. And I'm trying to spare you of these things." In verse 29, he says, "But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened. So from." That from now on, those who have wives should as though they had none. So the time has been shortened. God has God has a, a plan and a purpose and a perfect timing for everything. And this time has been shortened. Um, there's a lot of commentary on that. What does he mean by it's been shortened? Well, I don't know that we can really know that. But I will tell you this. You can trust God's timing. Whatever God has planned for the future, you can trust that timing. And God is merciful and God is graceful. And God will not give us more than we can endure, but he'll help us through all of those things. God has shortened the time. And so I think in in this, he's going to talk about... It sounds kind of funny. We're going to read through this. It sounds like we should not be involved in things, but it really isn't that at all. And we'll read through this. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as those who have none and those who weep as though they did not weep and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice and those who buy as though they did not possess and those who use the world as though they did not make use full use of it for Why? For the form of this world is passing away. Um, I think Jesus was approached by some scribes and Pharisees one day and said they had a question trying to trap him. Say, you say that a uh, man shouldn't divorce his wife. Or, and Well, we want to talk about that, about marriage. What if, and in their law, if a brother died, the next brother was uh to marry that wife and to raise up children for that brother's name. And if that one died and that one died and they went through this whole scenario, said, well, Jesus, who's going to be your husband in heaven? And Jesus said, you know what he told him? You're greatly mistaken. You do not understand the scriptures. You do not understand the times. You do not understand eternity. There won't be giving of marriage and and giving and and marriage in heaven. Those things will pass away. Marriage will not be in heaven. There won't be marriage in heaven. So he says, look to eternity. Those things, when there will be no weeping, there will be no buying or possessing. The joy that we have, we rejoice as if we did not rejoice, there'll be joy unending in heaven. These things are here on this earth and temporal. In heaven, There will be none of these things. Look to eternity as if those things have already passed away. In other words, don't get so caught up in the marriage, not marriage, the single, the the virgin, the whatever that situation might be. Those things are short-lived for eternity. We just read in uh, Psalm 90, didn't we? Maybe 90, maybe 80, maybe 70 days. And that's what? It's a vapor compared to eternity. I will say this. Though, and I don't know this, this is just my opinion. Um, and Helen and I have talked about this um, a little bit. Um, will we know each other in heaven? We've had a good 51 year run, and there's some of you here that have been, had longer. And there's a closeness there. And what will that look like in heaven? We won't be married. But I think I think the Lord, if you think about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the perfect unity in both mind and spirit and purpose, always perfect. And what is, what is that? We were talking in our men's Bible study, things too lofty for my small brain to think about. But that perfect unity somehow I'm going to talk to my wife for just a second. Somehow, Ellen, it's going to be better. I don't know how God does that, but it will be. And God has a plan and a purpose, and we trust that. But these things here, they are temporal. But the unity and the joy of heaven is eternal. So let us fix our hope and our attention On God, on our Lord Jesus Christ and his saving work. For we have been purchased with a precious price. And God has a plan and a purpose for us in eternity that we cannot imagine. Whatever that looks like, whatever that will be, we will fix our eyes upon heaven and upon eternal things. For these things are short-lived. These things are passing away, he says there in verse 31. But I want you to be free of concern, One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord. This is a gift of singleness. The one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that how she may be holy, both in body and in spirit but the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And I'm telling you, it's just—it's not saying that singleness is better or more, more holy. It's not saying that marriage is trouble and you shouldn't be married. They are both valid in the sight of God. God created both and he gifted some to be single and he gifted others to be married and to honor him and to... Be partners together. It's from it's from Genesis throughout the Bible. There are many people in the Bible that are married. And God isn't saying that one is bad and one is good. In fact, he's just basically saying one is good and one is better. Maybe a little bit. That one could give a devotion to the Lord in their life without the concerns of that married couple. Because you think about that wife or husband, don't you? And that's not wrong. In fact, we could go to Ephesians. I'm not going to go there. We don't have the time for that. We could go to Ephesians. I think it's uh, Ephesians 5 where it talks about a husband should love his wife and care for her and honor her. And a wife should be obedient and and love her husband. And in turn, the husband loves his wife and cares for her for it's like unto Christ in the church. And Christ loved and cared for the church. There's that honor and glory and that, that union that is a mystery that is like the union of Christ and his church, the body of Christ, you and I. It's glorious and it's wonderful. And it's not to be put down. It's not to be looked down upon. We can honor God in marriage and in singleness. And so he isn't saying one's better than the other. He's just saying the way things work in this world, there will be trouble and there will be divided attention. But we can certainly together devote ourselves to the Lord and devote ourselves to love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. This I say your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you. That word means not to put a snare or a a noose around your neck upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undivided devotion to the Lord, undivided devotion to the Lord. Don't you want to, I think Paul just wants to see folks live their life. He's already said it right where you are, right in the situation you are, and give God the glory and honor and devotion right where you are with all of your life and all of your, all of your energy and all of your being to love him and honor him and glorify him no matter what you do, no matter your marital or single status. And he wants you to be free of trouble, free of stress, but he wants them to honor God and to love him with all of their hearts and all of their souls and to honor him right where they are and to be content in that, to be content so have a, prop, have a proper perspective on eternity and have a proper perspective on what God is doing in your life and what will last and what will not last and, and devote your attention toward him and toward the Lord. And, uh, and I would say this too, and point other people that way. Point other people toward the Lord and point other people toward the gospel and toward his word. Um, and he says here as he finishes up, But if a man uh, thinks he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, in this culture, a man had the right or a father had the right to give his daughter away or betroth her to someone or to arrange a marriage. And that was not wrong. And to, to, to evaluate that later, what he's going to talk about here. But if a man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. So maybe, her, maybe he sees this daughter who he says, no, you're not going to get married. And she doesn't have the gift of singleness. And he's already talked about that. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. So he says, you're not sinning by saying, let her marry. Give her the right to marry. So he's just saying, it's okay. Evaluate that situation. But if he stands firm in his heart, being under constraint, but at but has authority over his own will, and he's decided in this, in his own heart, to keep her, his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. It's not a matter of good or evil, in other words. It's a matter of good or better. But he has the right to choose, and he's not sinning. He just needs... I think the father needs to do what's best for his daughter in the Lord and to care for her and to watch over her and to make sure that she is in the best situation, not to force her into something that she's not gifted to do, not to hold her back from something that she's not gifted to do and go and go and marry. So he's not saying right or wrong here, sinning. He's saying good or better, good or better. And so he's just giving his advice in the Lord, seeking what's best for these people, wanting them to understand whatever questions they've asked, that these things are correct in the sight of God. They're not sinning to evaluate these things and do what's right for their their daughter, do what's right in their own life. Don't seek change just for change, but do what's right uh, in God's sight, first and foremost. A wife is bound, and he's just going to finish with this, kind of go back to that. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. Um, But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married. Um, It's a lifelong commitment. Um, It's a a covenant that we make with one another, married couples. And he's just reiterating that, that this is to be for life. Uh, When a man marries a woman and they're joined together as one, God says, God recognizes that. God honors that. God has designed that. And God said, whatever God has joined together, let no, let no man put asunder. Not man's laws, not man's wisdom, not man's planning, not man's desires. Let only death separate them. The wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Um, and again, I think Paul wants the best for them. And he doesn't want them to just remarry and be unequally yoked. He wants them to marry in the Lord and serve the Lord together. Serve the Lord together. Um, not to not to just marry the first person that comes along, but uh, to wait. And she's free to do that if she wishes. It says, if she wishes, only in the Lord. Um, but in my opinion, again, he has, says here, she would be better off to stay as she is. Um if she can, if she has that gift to stay single, if in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And then he ends with just a little sarcasm. I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Some commentators think that, that, you know, some said, yeah, Paul, I've got the Spirit, and you maybe just not really. Paul says, I think I've got the Spirit too. And I think I can give a good opinion and a trustworthy opinion. So maybe a little bit of sarcasm, but he's, he's again, saying... Grow in the Lord, honor him, serve him right where you are. The days are short, the time has been shortened, this world is passing away. Look to eternal things, look to honor God and to love him and to serve him with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind, right where you are today. And glorify him with your life, married, single, whatever job you might have. I want to read as we finish. We got a couple minutes yet. Well, we don't really, but I'm going to take a couple minutes. Let's go to, uh, second Peter chapter three, just a little section. I want to read here, starting with verse 10. Um, the goal is Christ likeness now to become more and more like Christ. Um, verse 10 of second Peter chapter three, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. What was Paul saying? The days are shortened and these things are passing away. It's going to be burned up. It's going to be gone. Since all these things are to be destroyed, to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening and the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt away with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven, And a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We were just reading about that in the men's Bible study tonight. We're looking for a new heaven and a new earth where what? Where righteousness dwells. You know what that simply says? Where Jesus lives in heaven. And he lights the place up. There's no sun or moon there. He lights it up. We're looking for eternal things. We're eternally minded. We're looking for that place where he is, and we're headed there. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. As also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. Isn't that so? You know, we don't have to understand all the things of eternity, or all the things of eternity past, or all the things even right now here that we seek to know and understand. You know what we have to do? We have an opportunity to live in peace with God and to honor him with our lives right where we live. I think that's what Paul wanted those folks to do in Corinth, and I think that's what God wants you and I to do today to give him glory and honor and to serve him wherever we might be, not seeking change for just change sake, that we would be holier if we did this, but what if, and we could go to the other side of that. Well, I'm just. You're just what? You're just a child of God if you've trusted him as your Savior. And you're just precious to Him. And you've been bought with a precious price. And God wants us to live for Him and honor Him right where we are. We guard the patience of the Lord as salvation. And He's written many hard things to understand. We don't have to understand them all. We just worship and praise Him. And and untaught and unstable. He says to understand which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction. You, therefore... Beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of the unprincipled men and fall away from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in understanding of who he is and and through his word, grow in your knowledge of him. And I would just say as we grow in the knowledge of him, we grow in our closeness to him. Just wanting to be more like him, to be Christ-like and to live a life that's pleasing to him. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Um, We are complete in him, through him. A love for God, and I just want to finish with this. A love for God with, with all of your motives and all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your life. A love for God with all of these things makes all of life's decisions just to honor and to obey him. When you love him with all of your heart and all of your soul, you know what you desire to do? You desire to honor and glorify the God that paid a precious price for you and saved you. No matter where you are, married, single, no matter what you do, you can honor the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. And why is that so? Because you love him. You just love him because he saved you. And he rescued you from separation, from sin. Um, we were talking today about that in Sunday school. From um, from sin's burden. You know, he's, he's lifted that off our shoulders. And people want to still do heavy lifting. They want to carry these things around and try to earn salvation. They just want to do some heavy lifting instead of just being free of the burden to love God and serve him in joy and worship him and honor him in peace and, and, and security and just plain, oh, never get over what he's done for you. And one day we'll understand a lot more. I don't know if we'll understand it all, even through eternity. I think it'll take us eternity and beyond to understand all that God is. He's just that big and that glorious and that wonderful. So why would we not give him our full attention and serve him with all of our mind and all of our heart and all of our soul, right where you are, right where you are? Let's resolve to do that today, starting today for the rest of our lives. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you saved us and called us to yourself. When we were far away, going our own direction, lost in our sin, dead in our trespasses and sins. You quickened us to life and called us to yourself. And that was paid for with a precious price of your sinless life blood spilled on the cross for us. And Lord, we we just, we love you. We want to honor you with our lives. Help us to just be secure in you, be content in you, whatever our situation, and just appoint other people to you.